speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 41 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Plank Zumo, and in this episode, we are reaching the end of my coverage of season two of The Adventures of Superman, with episodes 25 and 26, The Whistling Bird, and Around the World with Superman. And then, when I'm done with that, as a special bonus, I'm going to cover the U.S. Treasury-sponsored Adventures of Superman short, which was never aired as part of the series, but instead shipped to public schools, Stamp Day for Superman. Before we uh, get into this week's episode, I just want to uh, send a special shout-out to friend of the show, Dave McElvenny, who sent me a little present in the mail. It arrived today. It is a... And I'll get this up on the Facebook page as soon as I get an opportunity, if I haven't done so already. It is a painting of the Legion of Super Pets. Uh, Crypto the Super Dog, Beppo the Super Monkey, Streaky the Super Cat, and Comet the Super Horse, all playing poker with Ace the Bat Hound. So... If I haven't done so already, I'll get a picture of that up on the Facebook group as soon as I can, and I'm hoping to find a special place for it as soon as I can. I will post a picture of that, too, once I get a frame and get that put up. But I would like to thank Dave on the air personally for sending that to me. I very much appreciate it. It was kind of Dave's way of showing his appreciation for the show, and like I said, I appreciate the gesture, and I appreciate his listening, and... I appreciate everyone who listens to the show, and, you know, I'd love to hear from some more of you. Uh, just tell me what you think. You know, it's been a long road so far. Um, this is episode 41 of the man, what I call the Man of Scream proper, you know, and here we are. I feel like I just started this journey with you guys, and we're already finishing up the second season of The Adventures of Superman. Can you believe it? Even though there are six seasons in the show, there are 104 episodes of this series, and when I'm done today, I will have covered half of that as seasons 3, 4, 5, and 6 are 13 apiece. Hard to believe how fast time flies when you're having fun. And I'm having fun, and I hope to continue having fun. But for what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to take a quick break and play a promo, and then I'm going to come back with The Whistling Bird. Hang around, folks. When you think of podcasts about religion, you probably think of this. But at least one religion podcast sounds more like this. I kick ass for the Lord. Dorkness to Light is a relatively geeky production in which Alan and Emily discuss topics of faith, religion, and spirituality. But we do so through the lens of pop culture, like movies, TV, and comic books, because we're nerds. Our primary focus will be on Christianity, because that's what we know best. But all religious content is on the table. Well, think about it, Scully, from vampirism to Catholicism. This is an occasional cast, to be recorded and released as the mood strikes, with topics ranging from in-depth reviews to personal rants about some small aspect of theology or church history, because we're theological nerds. If these topics interest you, check out Dorkness to Light, 
www.blogspot.com for our more regular content. Or darknesstolight.tumblr.com for our more irregular content. Memes and puns, mostly. My bad. Darkness to light. Often irreverent, rarely sacrilegious. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into The Whistling Bird. Original broadcast date was March 1st, 1954. Writer was David Chandler, and director was Tommy Carr. Guest cast includes Sterling Holloway as Professor Uncle Oscar Quinn, Joseph Vital as Spike the Chief Foreign Agent, Otto Waldus as the Foreign Scientist, Tony Carroll as Roma, Dorothy Manners, Aline Roberts as Nancy Quinn, and Marshall Reed as the Security Agent. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. It is a quiet day in the offices of the Daily Planet. Clark Kent is even taking a nap at his desk until cub reporter Jimmy Olsen screams to awaken him. Nancy Quinn has come to see him about something of great importance. Her uncle Oscar, who had created the computer named Mr. Kelso some time back, has come out of retirement to invent something that could benefit mankind greatly. Only his assistant Skylar knows anything about it. Kent and Jimmy have gone with Nancy to talk with Oscar and Skylar about their work. Uncle Oscar? No. I wonder what I did with that vial of copper sulfide. It's in your hand, Uncle. In my hand? That's preposterous. That's preposterous? That's copper sulfide. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Nancy, dear, yes. And Jimmy, well, well. And Kent, well. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot you were here. We weren't, Professor. I hope you don't mind our breaking in on you like this. Mind? You're just in time to witness the greatest experiment of a lifetime. Well, now that sounds mighty important. Oh, it's the greatest boon to modern humanity. And I understand you have a new assistant, uh, Skyler? Skyler, oh yes, he's a great help, a great help. He's over there in the cage. Uh, in the cage. Please, Skylar, we have guests. It's a, it's a parakeet. He doesn't like to be called a parakeet. He thinks he's an eagle. Nancy says he's the only one that really understands about your uh, formula. He is. Understood. Well, now, I knew parakeets talk, but I didn't know they understood things. They can't. But Uncle was afraid that someone might steal his formula if he wrote it all down. So he left out one essential step and taught it to Skylar. And I was right, too, because last night, I guess I forgot to close the doors. Anyway, somebody got in and stole a copy of the formula. But it didn't do them any good without the part the Skylar knew, right? That's right. Of course, I would have memorized it myself, but then you know how forgetful I am. <laughs> anyway, Skylar's the only one who knows. Listen, I'll show you. I taught him to associate it with the sound of this bell. Now, listen. Well, now that's the first Chinese parakeet I ever met. <laughs> Uncle, aren't you ever going to tell us what you're working on? It's ready now. This is my experiment. I wanted to do something for humanity. And I said to myself, what do people hate worst of anything in the world? They hate to lick postage stamps. And so I have invented a new and stronger glue, but with six delicious flavors. Beef stew, liver and onions, ham, lamb, a veal, and vegetable plate. 
Professor, the secretaries of America will erect you a statue. Thank you. Mr. Kent, would you do the honors? Why, thank you very much. I might as well. I haven't had anything to eat all day. <laughs> you ready? Yes, please. Hmm. How was it? Delicious, just like Mother used to make. Oh, it was the old-fashioned beef stew. I was afraid for a minute it had too much salt. Wonderful, come with me. <laughs> You ready? Nancy, you all right? I, I think so. How about you, boy? I guess I'm still in one piece. Good. If that counts. Uncle Oscar. No. Did you come through this all right? Oh, my. Oh. I think something must have gone wrong. <laughs> Is that your considered opinion? Oh, dear. Some extraordinary chain reaction that I hadn't counted on. Oh, now I'm going to have to build this whole thing over again from scratch just so I can trace the difficulty. Thank goodness Skylar remembers what I told him. Skylar! Oh, Skylar! Skylar! Oh, thank heaven. He hasn't even lost a tail feather. Professor, you couldn't have had more than half a drop of solution on that stamp, right? Oh, less than that, but why does it matter? I think I see what Jimmy's getting at, Professor. By accident, you seem to have invented one of the most powerful explosives ever known. No, I wanted to do was to invent the most delicious glue ever known. Well, I'm not sure why, but I figured this must be a historic moment. So, uh, turn around and hold it, huh? The Federal Security Commission now knows about Uncle Oscar's exploding glue. However, Lois Lane does not believe Clark when he answers her question about his call to them. Why were you calling the Federal Security Commission? All right, I'll tell you. A local professor invented a new kind of glue which blew up right in his face. If you don't tell me the truth, I'll find out some other way. All right, bye. I'm sorry, Miss Lane. Look at this. Oh, yes, it's the picture you took of us in the professor's lab. What about it? Remember that window in the lab? The one that opened on the outside stairwell. Take a good look. Oh, yes. Two people looking in that window. And it looks like we weren't the only ones that saw the big mistake. Then you weren't kidding about that exploding glue. I wish I were, Lois. Then I wouldn't be worried about those two faces. Uncle Oscar has gone to the park with Skylar, where he encounters the beautiful Dorothy Manners after the parakeet whistles at her. Uh, please, I, 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 I wouldn't want you to think for a moment that it was the bird. He must have learned that whistle from somebody. I assure you, I have no idea where he picks up such things. It might not be a bad idea if you'd find out. Mind if I sit down? Oh, no. Isn't he cute? Nice birdie, pretty birdie. He's just feathers, after all. <laughs> well... Professor, am I interrupting something? Oh, Clark, Clark Kent. That's right. Uh, I want you to meet... Uh, Dorothy, Dorothy Manners. Yes. My pleasure, Miss Manners. Yeah, and of course you know Skylar. Oh, naturally. <laughs> oh, Miss Manners, would you forgive me if I borrow the professor for just a moment? I have a personal message for him. Of course not. Thank you. Who is she? I never saw her before in my entire life. And if it hadn't been for that Skylar, if he'd minded his own bit, what's the matter? 
I'm not quite sure. You remember that picture Jimmy took in the lab? Guys, what on earth would she be doing outside my lab window? Well, maybe you can find out. Going back to that bench, she'll probably try and pump you. Let her. Yeah, give me a chance, too, to tell Skylar what sort of a woman he's taken up with. Mr. Kent! She's gone! The bird. I forgot all about him. Oh, Skylar! Skylar! It's all right. Oh, do you know what? I bet you if she knew that Skylar knew the formula, she would have taken him. You're right, Professor. Chalk up a lucky break for our side. Well, you better go back to the lab. Jimmy's already there waiting with Nancy. Yeah, okay. But what he and the mild-mannered reporter don't realize is that Dorothy has switched birds. The foreign scientist working with Manners and her boyfriend, Spike, is having no luck getting the remainder of the formula from Skylar. Squawking, or I'll put you back in the handbag. Come on, give, give. Formula, chemicals. Get him giving a bird to third degree. I suppose you could do better. I was only supposed to get the bird, not guarantee him to talk. Come on, pal. The sooner you talk, the sooner you get something to eat. Sure, Skyler. He'll take you out for a nice hot beef sandwich. That's what I need, wisecracks. My scientific mind is not amused. I would hate to report to our superiors that you have resorted to practical jokes. I tell you, Doc, this bird can fill in the formula. I won't know what it means, but you will. So far, all I've heard is kill the umpire, hit the deck, and uh, two choruses of Yankee Doodle. Okay. If I can't make this pinhead monster talk, I know who can. Come on. Professor Quinn has come to understand that the bird with him is not Skylar. And now... With a little help from Skylar, I'll be able to go back, recreate the original experiment, and in that way, find out my mistake. Skylar's been awfully quiet, hasn't he, Uncle Oscar? He should be, after the way he carried on in the park. Really? <whistles> I seem to be picking up things from him. What does he charge for lessons? <clears throat> now, for the formula. Skylar, this is no time to sulk. Jeepers, what if he forgot? Impossible. But suppose he has. Impossible. There'd be no way to complete the formula. No wonder he's not talking. This isn't Skylar. What is it, Professor? You know that woman in the park? She switched birds on me. Yes, the one I have here is an imposter. Are you sure? Absolutely. It's the difference in the eyes. You know, Skylar's eyes were sort of a soft, pale blue. <laughs> this one's a sort of a muddy brown. Oh, yes, that's right. And uh, I, go ahead, my child. <laughs> However, before he can say more, the gang of foreign agents enters and disconnects telephone line, and Clark knows that Uncle Oscar is in danger. Superman has arrived at Uncle Oscar's lab only to find Lois. Both of them leave believing that there was really no danger. In truth, the spies have gone with Oscar, Nancy, and Jimmy into a secret room lined with lead. Uh, how come the sliding wall business? Oh, you see, before I retired, I used to use that room extensively. I didn't want anyone to know what kind of work I was doing. But we knew, Professor. That's why we thought it logical to assume that this latest experiment of yours was of the same nature. Yeah. 
I was attempting to make glue. We are only interested in the explosive that resulted. So if you will be kind enough to produce another batch of the same substance. <laughs> he doesn't really think I would, do you? Mm-hmm. We sure do, Professor. Unless you want something to happen to these kids. Clark Kent has just remembered that, according to Uncle Oscar, Miss Manning has dropped her handkerchief in the park. He and Lois go there to find it with the initials R.M. Meanwhile... All right, Skylar, I guess we'll have to give him the formula. If this is some sort of a joke... Skylar's a very good judge of looks and a very bad judge of character. Hey, I resent that. He better come up with the right answer this time, Professor, or it's goodbye to the kids. Oh, no. All right, Skylar. Just this once, please. By the bell. <laughs> the foreign agents have taken the explosive and have locked Uncle Oscar, Nancy, and Jimmy in the lead-lined room without turning on the ventilation fans. The trio could die of suffocation as Uncle Oscar understands the mistake he made with the stamp glue. As the government security agent tells Lois and Clark that there's nothing on Miss Manners, Jimmy has used a match to start a flame that activates the sprinkler system. Listen! Listen! Oh, well that's very fine except that nobody knows this room is here and they'll go to the lab looking for a fire. They won't find one. They'll think it's a short circuit. And this whole room will fill up with water. Oh, why was I born so clever? Having heard the alarms and water rushing into the lead line la laboratory, Superman has rescued Nancy, Uncle Oscar, and Jimmy. Ah, Superman, you're a sight for wet eyes. We couldn't have lasted much longer. There you go, Uncle Oscar. Ooh. Are you all right? Nothing to worry about? I've got it. I've got it. The formula. You see, two of the chemicals react on each other after a given time. And somehow the uh, other chemicals uh, aid in this reaction and a hundredfold or more. And that's why we got such a big explosion. Well, how long does this reaction take? Well, it depends on the quantity. But this I do know. Before the mixture explodes, it will begin to bubble. Bubble? Heavens. Oh, There's no time to get rid of it. We'll all be blown to bits. Oh, if you hadn't smothered the force inside of you, the whole neighborhood would have been blown to bits. But what about the other beaker, the one they took? Well, that has a larger amount in it, but the reaction will take a little bit longer. But when it does... Woo! and flown home. Well, it's a little late to do us any good now. Uh, El Dorado! El Dorado! Well, at least he picked up a new word in his travels. A new word? Uh, yeah, El Dorado. He never said that before. Uh, El Dorado. That's what they call that old goose town upstate. That's right, Jimmy. There's much of a chance we'll let you take it. And the spies have gone there to wait on an airplane to take them to their superiors. The foreign scientist starts to notice that Uncle Oscar's solution is bubbling. What's this? 
Look. Bubbles. You're the scientist. Tell us what it means. Oh, no. Not again. Look, you're not worth saving. But run for your lives. This may explode any minute. I don't know myself, but I do know I'm not going to save her from the law. Come on. Uncle Oscar, Lois, and Skyler have been to Clark Kent's office to tell him of the day's events. Well, Mr. Kent, while you were sitting here mooning, Superman saved the day. Oh, fine. Then I can write the story. You write the story. Well, I like that. Ah, uh, oh, Superman, oh, Superman. Ah. Professor, until now, I thought Skylar was a pretty smart bird, but when he starts to call Clark Superman... He just whistled at you, Lois. What do you think of his mind now? All right. This is not that great of an episode. I'll just leave that right there before we move on. And the only thing that really makes this episode worth watching is the performance of... Sterling Holloway, who, like I mentioned when he showed up on uh, The Machine who That Could Plot Crimes, he was very famous for some of his animated voice work, including Winnie the Pooh. So, if Uncle Oscar sounds like your favorite pantsless Disney-owned teddy bear, well, that's because they share the same voice. So, anyway, this episode opens with Clark asleep at his desk. You know, I wish I could do that at my desk, but I can't, even though I think it's been known to happen once in a while, but... Yeah, whatever. So Jimmy comes barging in with Nancy Quinn, who is the niece of Uncle Oscar Quinn. And Clark points out that he hadn't seen <clears throat> Uncle Oscar in two years since he retired. So is it possible that at least two years have passed since the events of the machine that could plot crimes? I mean, I know it was this season, and usually, you know, on most shows nowadays, it's one season, one year, but time is kind of fluid on this show, so maybe it has been two years since the machine that could plot crimes. I mean... The character's name is the same, the actor's the same, it's the same character, right? I mean, there is absolutely no reference made to Mr. Kelso and the machine that can plot crimes, but it is clear from the episode that the Clark and Jimmy and Lois, they all know Uncle Oscar, so I guess we're just going to go with that, that it's been two years since the machine that can plot crimes and kind of move on from there. Apparently, he's doing molecular hydroactivity now, whatever that is, I am not a scientist. If you want to know what molecular hydroactivity is, you are welcome to do a Google search. I am not going to. But what's important is that he's messing around with chemicals now and not uh, over-intelligent computers. And today he's testing an experiment. Knowing what we know about Uncle Oscar from the last time we've seen him, this cannot possibly be good. And we go to the lab, and this is when we're introduced to the concept of Skylar, who, you know, at first you would think is a lab assistant, but no. Remember, this episode is called The Whistling Bird. So it needs to have a bird in it, and apparently bird is going to be Skylar. Now at the lab, we get our first look at the uh, befuddled Uncle Oscar looking for a vial of chemicals that he is holding. So we see right away that he is the same absent-minded professor that we came to know and maybe love, maybe not, in the machine that can plot crimes. So now we meet Skylar, and I love Clark's confusion about Skylar being in the cage. Clark must be thinking about, at this point, what kind of assistant could this guy possibly be keeping in a cage? And this is when we realize this probably should have been a color episode. Skylar is a parakeet. Parakeets are very colorful birds. And it just seems like a bird of a parakeet's color is absolutely wasted in black and white. So apparently Skylar knows a part of the formula and can recite it at the ring of a bell. 
Very handy if you know the rest of the formula. But what happens if Uncle Oscar forgets another part of the formula? Does Skylar remember that too? I guess we'll just have to make sure he remembers everything except what he told the bird. This hardly seems like a foolproof way of remembering your secret formula. And let me be the first to say that this invention of his is gross. I am not necessarily sure if I would want to lick a stamp adhesive that tastes like liver and onions. I'll be honest, I hate licking stamps. I'm glad now that stamps are stickers at this point. You don't have to uh, lick them to get them to stay anymore. Now you just have to lick the envelopes to get them to close. I remember when I worked upstate in sports when we had to send out our preseason sports preview forms. Ugh. Licking the envelopes for every local high school sports team was just a nightmare after a while. But I don't have to do that anymore. There is one that tastes like beef stew, and that's apparently the one that Uncle Oscar gave to Clark to sample, and he said, oh, just like Mother used to make. I'm sure his mother made something better than whatever appeared in Uncle Oscar's glue uh, concoction. Clark sticks the stamp on the envelope, he kind of puts it down with his fist, and BOOM! There goes the lab. Literally. Clark is off the end of the side, but everybody else has kind of been knocked around. Clark goes around, checks everybody. It's nice of somebody to remember the bird. And, you know, I really enjoyed Uncle Oscar's deadpan when he, when Clark lifts him up to his feet. He just says, something went wrong. What an astute scientist to realize that something went wrong when his glue caused an explosion that wrecked his entire lab. Apparently, instead of creating a glue, he created a high-powered explosive. And Clark is going to call the authorities because he has to. At first, the secretaries of America were going to erect Uncle Oscar a statue. Well, now the... The Federal Security Agency might want uh, to know about this high-powered explosive. So back at the planet, I like this exchange between Clark and Lois. The way Clark says it makes it sound like he's making a joke, but he's not. And Lois doesn't really believe that anything's really going on until Jimmy comes in with the developed photos. And apparently, unbeknownst to anyone else, two people, a man and a woman, saw the solution wreck the lab. So now, two other people other than Clark, Lois, Jimmy, and Uncle Oscar and his niece Nancy know about the about the properties of the glue. And like I mentioned before, this episode is made by Sterling Holloway, his appearance. I mean, the story concept is bizarre and silly, but I really enjoy watching Sterling, Sterling Holloway work in all of his episodes. He plays the befuddled scientist very well. And in episode 42 of the Man of Screen podcast, we're going to see Sterling Holloway again, where he'll play a slightly different kind of scientist, a little less befuddled, a little more eccentric than Uncle Oscar. That'll be Professor Twiddle. So... Although Uncle Oscar does have plenty of eccentricity to spare. Because he needs to kind of clear his head a little bit, he's going to take Skylar for a walk in the park. You know, a lot of people take their dogs to the park. He's taking his caged bird. So, here we go. We got a woman walking by. If we are an astute observer, we'll notice that she is the woman who was peeking in through the window uh, during the explosion. I was not astute enough to notice this. I had to look again later and, and see. But, you know, she's dropping the handkerchief to kind of get a... Uh, Uncle Oscar's attention, but he's oblivious. Apparently, but the bird isn't, because he kind of whistles a cat call at her, and the woman shows some interest while Clark walks up, and uh, Clark has a personal message for the professor, and it's that Dorothy was outside the window. For the moment that Clark dragged the professor to the side to talk about Dorothy, they get back, Dorothy's gone, and, well, fortunately, the bird seems okay. Before leaving, though, uh, Uncle Oscar will pick up Dorothy's handkerchief and smell it, and then kind of, throw it away. So I guess he... Didn't like how her perfume smelled. So apparently, we learn right as the scene cuts to the next one that she switched the birds. The guy in the middle, that is Spike, her boyfriend, I guess. And while he and the foreign doctor here can't seem to get this bird to talk. Spike is just kind of sitting there yelling at the bird, but 
Apparently, this doctor is a scientist, and that formula would mean something to him. Back at the lab, Uncle Oscar is almost done re recreating his formula, but he needs Skylar to fill in the blanks. And he rings the bell, and nothing happens. Uh oh! Apparently, he can't tell it's on the same. It's not the same bird, at least not at first. But upon closer inspection, Uncle Oscar realizes it's not the same bird, and because this bird has more of a muddy brown eyes, while Skylar's was more of a pale blue. I'm very concerned about the way uh, Uncle Oscar talks about this bird. Just saying. He may have actually had more contact with this bird than with actual human beings. So, basically, uh, the crooks come in as Clark's on the phone, and Clark hears what goes on, and he changes into Superman. Superman who arrives and just finds Lois, who reports to him that nobody was home, so she just came right in, because, of course, Lois, why wouldn't you just come right in? And this is kind of a humorous scene as Superman ushers Lois out of the room with kind of her demanding to know what's going on. But Superman is not giving, not saying a word, and she just remains clear that she'll get it out of Clark, which eventually she will. But Superman was a little more rude here than I'm kind of used to seeing Superman behave. Once in a while, George Reeves' Superman will act like this. So apparently, uh, Uncle Oscar had a secret closet for nuclear experiments with a lead-lined wall. He also said it was for experimenting and he didn't want anybody to know what he was doing. But apparently all he wanted to do was make glue. I'm not sure why he needed to work in a secret room to make explosive glue or just to make glue. I don't think he was trying to make the glue explosive, but you know, he did. Uncle Oscar is not in the slightest bit interested in the explosive, but the foreign doctor is very much interested in the explosive. And that's when Uncle Oscar realizes that he's going to have to make the explosive glue or risk Jimmy and Nancy's lives. The government would probably tell him to sacrifice Jimmy and Nancy and keep the glue out of the foreign power's hands, but Uncle Oscar is definitely not going to do that. So in the lab now, all they need is the rest of the formula from the bird, and in order to save the lives of Jimmy and Nancy, Uncle Oscar rings the bell, and Skylar whistles. To say this does not please the criminals in the slightest would be a serious understatement, and Dorothy doesn't like Uncle Oscar's shot at her character when he says that the bird can identify... Uh, Woman by her looks, but not by her character. But Skylar did fortunately remember it on the second ring. Meanwhile, Lois and Clark have gone to the park because, you know, Clark wants a good stroll, and he kind of strolled by uh, the area Uncle Oscar was hanging out before, and he finds a handkerchief with the initials RM on it. I must have missed the fact that her first name was Roma from the episode, but I only knew Dorothy, so I was a little confused why RM meant anybody, anything to anybody. I was pretty sure Dorothy starts with D, and I figured her initials would be DM. Dorothy Manners, direct message, you know. But apparently RM meant something to Clark. They're moving on. The criminals have gotten the formula. And Uncle Oscar, Jimmy, and Nancy are now locked in the nuclear closet, and the criminals are off with the bird. But hey, they might be in trouble, trapped in a room that they can't open, but at least the light is working. You have to take the victories that you can get. And now we're back at the planet. Apparently Deputy Inspector Hill has taken a job with the Fed since the event of the human bomb. As his unnamed security agent is played by Marshall Reed, who also played Hill, and if you remember, famously sat in for Superman while Ben a Million Butler was hanging out on the ledge with Lois for a half hour. Remember? No comment until the time limit is up. Now Clark is feeling a bit helpless here because the agent has no new information on these guys, and this is when Jimmy generates a great idea of setting off the sprinkler with a match. I'm not sure this would work in reality, but it does here. But there's a problem that Uncle Oscar will bring up. Nobody knows about the extra room and the room is going to fill up with water. It would have been really nice if Uncle Oscar had thought of that beforehand, and I just love Jimmy's throwing uh, something down on the ground and getting on himself about his own cleverness. Why did he have to be so clever? Just a great scene of frustration for, on Jimmy's part. I, 
good acting there. Now, this room is filling up pretty quick as Superman flies, but in the time it took us to watch Superman fly off, the water is now almost waist deep. Now we get a nice shot of Superman arriving at Quinn's house and punching through the floor and pulling the floor apart to get to them. Superman is obviously much too good to get wet here as he is not going down there and he's going to just pull everybody up through the hole he made in the ceiling. And then once everybody's out, this is when Uncle Oscar figures it out. The chemicals react with each other to create the explosion. And then he realizes that it will bubble. And that really puts the fear of God into Uncle Oscar because he runs downstairs and yeah, you guessed it. His small mixture is bubbling, and who knows what that would have done had it exploded. <clears throat> that tiny bit on the stamp was enough to wreck the room. This would probably take it out about half the city. So to keep it from wrecking the neighborhood, Superman drinks the explosive glue. And we hear an off-screen explosion, and when the camera goes back to Superman, he's acting like he just had a bad case of indigestion. Remember that. That could be important. You know, I wonder if this little sequence inspired the bomb meeting in the Lois and Clark pilot. At least this Superman didn't burp afterward. So now, where to find the criminals? Fortunately, this episode is going to deploy a parakeet ex machina, as Skylar has found his way home and he picked up a new word, El Dorado, which leads Superman to a ghost town upstate. Sounds pretty creepy, which makes it the perfect place for criminals to hang out. So, now our criminals are in El Dorado, they find the formula bubbling. This is a very memorable scene. You know, like I said, I've seen all these episodes before. There are little things that stick with me from each episode. The one thing that stuck with me about this episode wasn't the bird in the slightest. It was Superman drinking the explosive formula. I remember him drinking it in the lab and then not wanting to drink it later in the cabin. He picks up the beaker and he's about to drink it and he kind of goes, oh, not again. You know, like when uh, you're trying to give somebody cough medicine. Like, nope, doesn't want to drink it. So instead he tells them to run, even though they're not worth saving. You know, I found that uh, interesting in Superman telling criminals that he doesn't think they're worth saving as he saves them anyway. And then we get a cute ending. Lois insults the bird intelligence because he called Clark Superman, which is very interesting because Lois spent a great deal of season two and beyond trying to prove that Clark is Superman. So I'm not sure exactly why she's calling thinking the bird is stupid for suspecting Clark to be Superman. She does. But apparently she's flattered by the bird's compliment as Skylar whistles at her and she flashes that nice Noel Neal smile as the episode ends. Like I said, okay episode. Memorable for Sterling Holloway's performance and for Superman drinking the explosive, but not much else. Yay, the bird whistles. You know, these criminals are forgettable. When the foreign doctor, as far as I recall, didn't even have a name. And I barely remembered Spike's name at the end of the episode. So, let's move on, shall we? Season 2 is going to end itself. Take a quick break, play a promo, and then we'll come back with Around the World with Superman. Hang around, folks. Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier to explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White. Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, 
Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. All right, welcome back, folks. Let's head right into Around the World with Superman. Original broadcast date was March 8, 1954. Writer was Jackson Gillis, and director was Tommy Carr. Guest cast includes Judy Nugent as Ann Carson, Kay Morley as Elaine Carson, Raymond Greenleaf as Dr. Anderson, Patrick Ahern as Mr. Murray, Max Wagner as the shortwave radio operator, and James Brown as Jim Carson. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. The Daily Planet is holding a contest for the children of Metropolis. Superman will read letters that tell what the world means to them. The winner will fly around the globe with the man tomorrow. Hello, Jimmy. Miss Lang. Well, he's here. Yes, I can see that. But now where's Clark Kent? I wanted him in on this, too. He was in his office a few minutes ago. Well, he's not there now. Uh, Mr. White, I don't think we need him, do we? After all, I'm here. I got the message. That's the important thing. Now, I understand you've picked a winning contestant. Yes. Would you like to see the letter? Very much. This was the best letter, we thought. Olsen, get that. We'll print it in the layout next to the one of the little girl. Boy, you should have seen all the entries. Those are just the best ones. But I bet every kid in Metropolis wrote you a letter, Superman. Well, no wonder. A free trip around the world. The best contest for children the planet has ever staged, bar none. Take it from me, in goodwill alone, aside from the money collected for charity... Please, the... Chief, let him read it. Is that all you wanted me for, just to read the winning letter? Have you notified this little girl, Elaine Carson, at 17 Terrace Drive? No, I want, uh, I want Lois and Kent to contact that girl first, Superman, so as to make sure that she really wrote it and all that. Mm. After all, we wouldn't pick the winner unless you read the letter. After all, you're taking her around the world. Oh, yes, that's right. Clark said you were pretty stubborn about taking his word for mine. Mr. Kent can be extremely difficult sometimes. Why the world is beautiful. The grammar isn't too perfect. She's about eight or nine. And I think the trees are as green in Arabia as they are outside my window. And the people, wherever they are, are as beautiful as love. It's worth reading again. You can tell Elaine Carson from me that she can fly around the world with me anytime. We'll tell her you go tomorrow morning, as we announced. Right. Jeepers, what a prize. A trip all the way around the world with him carrying you. Think what you'd see. A perfect contest. Absolutely perfect. Well, come on, let's get to work. However, there are some problems that Superman, in his guise of reporter Clark Kent, and Lois Lane discover. Oh. I beg your pardon, but we're looking for little Elaine Carson. What? Yes, I'm Lois Lane, and this is Clark Kent. How do you do? 
I'm very sorry, but I'm on my way to give a piano lesson right now, and I can't be bothered. But it's about the contest. Elaine has won it. Oh, I mean, don't you live in there? Yes, I do. And I'm the only Elaine Carson in town that I know of. You're Elaine? I'm sorry, but if you're selling something, I don't think much of your sales approach. Contest. <laughs> but there must be... Hold it. Oh, we're terribly sorry. It must have been a mistake. Clark, what are you up to? Welcome in. The door's not locked. My name's Ann. Who are you? Well, I'm Clark Kent. And this is Miss Lane. We were just talking to a lady from this apartment. I know. That's my mother. She's cranky today. Oh. Well, did you hear us talking about a contest? You see, we're both from the Daily Planet. She won! She won it, didn't she? You're gonna send her around the world to Paris and Arabia. Now, just a minute, Anne. This is a contest for children about why they want to see the rest of the world. Now, if your mother wrote the winning letter... But she didn't seem to know anything about it, did she? I think it's pretty simple, Lois. Anne here wrote a beautiful letter, and she signed her mother's name. Isn't that right, honey? Well, well, I heard all the rules on the radio, and nobody said that that was wrong. And really, what would Superman think of a little girl who did a thing like that? Superman? Now don't start treating me like a child. I won that contest and you've got to send my mother around the world. And you're all mixed up. Superman is going to fly the winner around the world. There's no such person as Superman and you know it. As Superman? Of course not. I figured all that out. It's just publicity. And besides, you didn't say anything about that part on the radio, either. It was printed in the paper. And I don't know how one little girl could get so mixed up, or why she'd sign her mother's name to the letter to begin with. Oh, don't be silly. I don't want to go around the world. I'm blind. I thought that might be it, Lois. And please don't feel sorry for me. You probably have things wrong with you, too. I... well, I just... You thought I was rude. Well, sometimes I am. People get so mushy otherwise. These are just for exercise. Dr. Anderson makes me stare at a blurry place. It's in front of this eye sometimes. Is it there now? Can you see me at all? No. But you're pretty, aren't you? My mother's pretty, too. How do you know that, dear? Have you ever seen her? Of course. When I was little, there was a car accident. That's what happened. My father was driving. He doesn't live with us anymore. Everything was different after that. And she said the trees are green outside my window. What's wrong? Didn't I spell something right? Of course not. Clark, what are we going to do? Do? You're going to send my mother around the world. That's what you're going to do. I'm afraid that isn't the idea behind the contest. My letter won. You said my letter won. But, Anne, I don't think Superman would approve of taking an adult around the world. He wants to take you, and even if you can't see, you can hear. He'll describe all the wonderful things all over the world, all from the air. I told you I don't believe in Superman. I entered that contest so my mother could go. Anne, please don't cry. I will if I want to. First you come in and say that I won, and now you're spoiling everything. I wrote about the world the way it seems to me, and my mother worked so hard she never gets a chance to look at it the way I do. And listen to me, honey. What are you doing? 
Ann, come here. It's all right, Mrs. Carson. We're from the Daily Planet. We're reporters. Reporters? Yes, isn't that wonderful, Mother? There's still some things to be settled, maybe, but I won. And the first prize is a trip around the world. That's right. She's won our contest. You entered a contest as Elaine? Yes, but it's you I want them to take. Why didn't you tell me? Mrs. Carson, you don't understand. So there you two are. The chief was getting impatient, so Who are you? over. Hey, is that the little girl? Let's get, get out, out of here. How dare you? Wait a minute, everybody. Mrs. Carson, I'm sorry if we frightened you, and I know what a surprise this must be. But after all, it's a pretty wonderful thing your daughter's done. If you don't all get out of here, I'll call the police. Mother. Be quiet, Anne. Nobody here has won anything, and nobody's going around the world. We won't have anything to do with your contest, do you hear me? And if you dare print that picture, I'll sue you. Now get out of here. Get out! Get out! <laughs> I'm sorry, Mother. Awful sorry. Rival newspapers like the Daily Blade are calling the Planet's Contest a fraud. The perfect contest. Great Caesar's ghost. Oh, Chief, why did you have to print the story so soon? Because those other papers jumped the gun. Tabloids like the Blade are already calling it a fraud. They say Superman won't fly the winner around the world even if we were telling the truth. Why did you have to print Elaine's name? Why didn't you wait till we got back? Of all the silly mixed up messes, where is Kent? Oh, Clark thinks we should stick to the first choice. He went to see someone to straighten it out. First choice? A little girl whose mother wants to sue us, who doesn't believe in Superman, who can't even see where you take her, and a poor little mixed up girl who's got everything wrong. I'd like to stick with this Ann Carson, too. Well, get going! Do something about this mess! Meanwhile, Clark Kent is speaking with Ann's physician, Dr. Anderson. No, I'm sorry to disappoint you, Mr. Kent. Well, what about her eyes, Doctor? I was curious about them the first thing. Well, it's like I told you. The optic nerve itself is not functioning. How it was injured in the accident, we don't know. So another operation just wouldn't do any good. Besides, it's dangerous to go probing around in that area unless you know what you're looking for. Uh-huh. I see. As for your other question why Anne's mother should be so upset, well, separated from her husband and all, life has been pretty rough, I suppose. But that's all I can tell you. I'm sorry I'm no help. <laughs> all right, Doctor. About this optic nerve thing, could a particle of something from the auto accident been lodged in the optic nerve? Where? What is it? Nothing shows up under X-ray. And you've tried that, of course. The finest X-ray machine in the world, Mr. Kent. Unless you know of a better one than that, it's quite hopeless. Perhaps I do, Doctor. And thank you very much. You're welcome. He just needs Lois to talk to Elaine Carson while he performs an impossible feat, making Anne believe in Superman. Time is of the essence for Lois and Clark, because it looks like the Carsons have their things packed to leave Metropolis. As Lois waits for Elaine downstairs, Clark, saying that he's Superman, enters the apartment. Hello, Anne. Who is it? It's Superman, honey. Superman? Mm-hmm. May I come in? I want to talk to you. Are, are you really Superman? You sound sort of like Mr. Kent. No. I'm really Superman. Now, where were you and your mother going? I don't know. A man named Mr. Murray telephoned. She got all upset again. Oh, she did. What about? I won't tell you. It's all your fault, she said. Oh? Well, what'd you let me in the first place for? I get curious sometimes. And anyway, I don't really believe you're Superman. Oh, you don't? Well, I guess I'll just have to prove it to you. 
And you stay right there, dear. Now, you know what this is? Put your hands on it. It's a fireplace poker. It's heavy, too. That's right. Now, you don't believe that Clark Kent could bend that with his bare hands, do you? Heavens, no. Of it's solid not. iron. All right. Now, you come over here. Just leave your hands right where they are. I'm putting my hands right there, see? Mm-hmm. we'll see if we can convince you that Superman can bend this. You ready? Huh? Yes. There. You... See, it bent. You did it! You did it! Sure. Now we'll try and bend it back in a more useful shape. Presto. See? Now do you believe in Superman? Well, well, maybe any really strong person could have done it. Honey, you're going to have to believe in me if I'm going to help you. The only people who believe in you are the ones who can see you. Oh, now that's not true. You come over here and sit down. There. Now I'm going into the other room, all right? Why? Well, I want you to whisper something. And whisper it just as softly as you can. And I'll try and hear you, all right? All right, now I'm clear in here in the other room. Now, you whisper something, and I'll bet you I can hear every word you say. Now, go on. I want my daddy back home again. Anne, what you whispered was so private, I don't even think you wanted me to hear it. But what you said was... How did you know what I said? Oh, because I'm Superman. And somehow I think you've always believed in me all this time, haven't you? While waiting for Elaine Carson to come home, Lois meets Mr. Murray. Anne's mother reveals that he is her husband's attorney. Mrs. Carson, wait! You didn't see me. Let me go. What? Who? Why don't you leave us alone? Now, please, Mrs. Carson. My editor wants you to know that if anything is troubling you, we'd be more than happy. He's out there, just standing there. I'll never be able to get our luggage out. It's a man with a briefcase? His name's Murray. He found out where we lived. That's why we have to move. But why are you so afraid of him? He's a lawyer. My husband's lawyer. Your husband? Oh, couldn't you see that's what's wrong with everything? It's not just poor little Anne's blindness. It's even if it started with that. My husband was driving. We had an accident. Anne lost her sight and I blamed Jim. It was horrible to him. I'm sorry. Jim just couldn't take it. All because you loved your little girl. And each other, Miss Lane. At least... Well, Jim is the finest man who ever lived. Then why don't you talk to him without the lawyers? Jim's gone away. I don't even know where he is anymore. Oh, don't you see? It's just too late for being reasonable or having anything that you really want or... or just anything. Elaine, we've been trying to do things and help you for the contest. Now we'll try and help you for the sake of people. Come on. Superman has given Elaine, Anne, and Lois some good news. Clark! Clark, are you in there? Superman! I've taken over for Clark, Miss Lane. Mommy, guess what? What is it, dear? Superman, go on, tell Mother. What is it you want him to tell me? He saw a piece of glass. He's got the most wonderful eyes in the world. Oh, Anne. I can't promise it, Mrs. Carson, but there definitely is something lodged in the optic nerve. If you'll stay in Metropolis so that Dr. Anderson can operate while I guide him, 
Well, I think Anne may be able to see perfectly again. Oh, Mommy, isn't that wonderful? Oh, wonderful, dear. Mrs. Carson. But that will mean... I don't care. How could anything be as important as Anne's eyesight? The operation was a success. Anne has come out of her surgery and is ready to see the world on her flight with Superman. Everyone can keep track of their progress thanks to a shortwave radio operator's reports. Meanwhile, Lois has let Elaine Carson into her office where a surprise awaits. Anne is enjoying seeing the world with Superman. As they fly over Arabia, he says that her father was there. This and other phrases from Superman make Anne curious, but that'll have to wait until they return to Metropolis. Something big is coming for Anne, and it could change her life forever. beautiful it is to open your eyes and see it. Hey! Here we come. Mommy, Mommy, I'm back! Well, where is she? Superman said there'd be a surprise, but she's gone. Come on, darling. We just got here and they've been talking all the time. What? Darling. How about that? All right. This episode was adapted into the comic story, The Girl Who Didn't Believe in Superman, which appeared in Superman number 96. That's volume one, obviously. Cover date, March 1955. This is the last original black and white episode of the series. Although after this, the cast did film Stamp Day for Superman for government bonds, but that had nothing to do with the series, and it was never shown in the series rotation and syndication, but we'll get to Stamp Day in the next segment. I will start off by saying that this is my mother's favorite episode, and I'm just going to kind of leave that right there. So, this episode starts right off with the excitement as the flight music, a Superman flies into the Daily Planet office, and the excitement is gone as soon as he lands. Perry wants Clark, but Superman says we don't need Clark, because obviously Clark and Superman can't be in the room together. And this is where we learn that the Daily Planet staff has picked the winning contestant for a contest that they're running. And Jimmy is taking pictures of Superman reading the letter from Anne, and you know, it's always a treat to see Jimmy function as a photographer in this show. You don't get to see it all the time. You kind of see it often enough to remember that Jimmy's supposed to be a photographer, but you don't see it often enough as far as I'm concerned. Normally, you just kind of see Jimmy functioning as a cup reporter and a photographer on occasion. So Superman picks the winning letter, and there's a slightly humorous moment where Lois reminds him that he's flying the winner around the world. And Superman kind of comes to this realization, like, oh, yeah, that's right. Well, did he forget? Did he get hit with another asteroid? Ooh. Apparently, this episode is just as memorable to Superman as it is to everyone else. Apparently, Clark was trying to kind of put his word in for Superman's, but the rest of the Planet crew wouldn't let him, and kind of Superman commented about how they wouldn't do that, and Lois just kind of points out how stubborn Clark can be. So, the letter is from Elaine Carson, and apparently Lois can tell the girl's age by her grammar. Eight or nine. Yeesh. Have you seen today's grammar? If you ju just looked at today's grammar, you would think half of the world is still in kindergarten. We're off to the little girl's house to kind of find... Get, these, get this contest going here. So they find her, E. Carson. And an adult woman comes out, and we learn that this is Elaine Carson. And as soon as she announces this, look at Clark. 
As Lois is talking to Elaine and realizing that she is the only Elaine Carson in town that she knows of, Clark's head is turned toward the door and he's checking things out and he probably by now knows that about the girl in, in the apartment. So when she leaves, Clark and Lois go in and they meet Anne Carson, who introduces herself immediately, very trusting. I'm Anne, who are you? And the clues that she's blind are there right away. She doesn't look at them when she talks. She just kind of looks straight ahead. She doesn't believe in Superman, and she says she heard about the contest on the, in the radio, and bears no mention at all of, of it appearing in the paper. And then eventually, when they're trying to convince that she's the one who won the contest, she drops the bombshell that she doesn't want to go around the world because she's blind. You know, she's very blunt and doesn't want them to feel sorry for her, which I believe that there are people in that kind of situation that are like that. I mean, anyone who has any kind of handicap, they don't really want the world at large to kind of sit and feel sorry for them. They want to do things as best they can in the manner that they can. I think there's a tendency on some people to kind of baby the handicap to a certain extent. And there are many that, you know, don't want to, don't want to be baby. They don't want to be helped. They, you know, they feel they need to learn how to do things and adjust to their situations on their own. And, and for the most part, they do need to be able to function as best they can, despite their handicaps. I can definitely understand why they would feel that way. So Anne is laying out the exposition in a monotone. <clears throat> but I will say this. She is better than the girl from the birthday letter. So right here, Lois is clearly bothered by Anne's blindness and everything going on. She's kind of hugging Anne tight and being very motherly, apparently. She's here to be an emotional wreck. And I'm not sure how long Lois and Clark were in the apartment, but if Mrs. Carson went and did her piano lesson, that was a damn fast piano lesson. She comes back while they're still there. And she's kind of demanding to know why these people are in her apartment. You know, a valid question. And then they list where they learned that Anne entered the contest as Elaine, but she wants her mother to go, and she kind of asked why Anne didn't tell her. You know, maybe Anne should have told her this. A lot of confusion in these early scenes would have been avoided if Anne had told her mother what was going on. So, now is, here comes Jimmy with the camera, and she freaks out because Jimmy just, hey, that little girl, I'm thinking to take a picture. So she kind of gets angry, threatens a lawsuit, and chases them away. This kind of reminds me of the contest problems from The Big Squeeze, the second episode of this season. You know, here we go. Daily Planet is giving an award to someone who doesn't want it. I will say this, that whole scene from the time Lois and Clark arrive at the apartment house and until they get chased from by Elaine with Jimmy with the camera, that's nearly five minutes out of this episode. A very long sequence there. And now Perry is having a meltdown because he jumped the gun with the contest winner. Just like in the big squeeze, clearly these people have learned nothing, but apparently Jimmy blames it on the other papers because apparently the planet must have publicized this contest, so... Now that it's kind of fallen apart on them, the other papers have seemed to have gone to calling out the planet, so it's basically a big mess right now, and our Daily Planet crew is going to have to sort it all out, just like they did in the Big Squeeze. Clark goes to meet Dr. Anderson, who has no information. Now, my first question is, did they have HIPAA laws in 1954? Because Dr. Anderson is committing a serious violation of Anne's privacy by telling Clark anything about her medical condition. But it moves the story forward, so we're okay with it. But the optic nerve is damaged. So Clark ponders that something might have been lodged in the nerve to cause her blindness. And I wonder if he x-rayed her eyes earlier and found something. Maybe he did. So Clark calls Lois back and he tells her that he's going to make Anne believe in Superman. I'm not exactly sure how Clark is going to do this, but at least according to Lois, but he is. 
But apparently before he called Lois on the phone, he heard something about the Carsons moving or running away. So he wants Lois to stall Elaine while he does his work. Clark goes to Anne's apartment saying that he's Superman, and now she points out that he sounds like Clark. Which, if you listen to the audio without the visuals, yeah, Superman and Clark Kent pretty much sound the same. George Reeves doesn't really change his voice that much going from Clark to Superman. Now, I know Anne is blind, but he's doing this all in his Clark Kent suit. Shouldn't he wear a Superman costume for this? I mean, I know she's blind, but what if she backs up and feels his shirt and tie? How's he going to explain that? I don't know, maybe she has no idea what Superman dresses. I don't know, maybe she's never seen him. I don't know. Probably not something I should think about all that much. Superman is going to do some demonstrations. One, he's going to bend an iron fireplace poker. She gets excited when it's done, but it's, you know, kind of hedges a little bit and says, eh, perhaps somebody really strong could have done it. George Reeves is very good with children, and this episode is showing that in spades. You know, this actress isn't that bad, you know. There are times when child actors and actresses are, aren't that good, but, you know, this girl's doing all right. And she says something to Superman that basically makes her blindness is what makes her not believe, and she says the only people who believe in him are those that can see him, and, well, Superman is trying to dispute that, and, you know, he wants to help her, and he tells her the only way he can do that is if she believes in him. So now he's going to demonstrate his superheroing. And she whispers that she wants her father back home again. I'll be honest, this moment got me. Probably for the first time ever. And mostly probably because this is the first time I'm watching it since I've become a single parent myself. As I'm pretty sure I hadn't even met Haley's mother yet the last time I watched this. Now, things just hit me because, and I got a little teary-eyed, I'll admit, because I know that Haley wants her mother back home. And I'll never forget the look on her face when I told her it wasn't happening, you know. That bright, cheery face that I love so much just kind of crinkled like tinfoil and got all twisted and as the tears started flowing, you know. It's one of those images that will probably be with me forever. I definitely understand Han's sadness here. So, moving on. Lois comes into the building and sits down and a man in a briefcase comes in and asks Lois if she's Elaine Carson, and he kind of immediately notices that she's not, so obviously he knows who Elaine Carson is, and he walks out. And Lois kind of looks out after him to see where he's going, but she goes back to the chair that she was sitting in. And now Elaine is back. And, you know, the minute she sees Lois, she's running for the hills. And Lois wants to help. This is where we learn that Elaine kind of drove her husband out of the house because she blamed him for the accident that caused Anne's blindness, and, you know, it's something that you see in real life. Families have fallen apart over things that happen to their children, traumatic events that happen in the children's lives. Thank God nothing like that is the cause for my own family falling apart, but sometimes these things just happen just because. But there is definitely something here, and you can see it in the words that Anne Mother speaks about how great of a person Jim was, or is rather, that she did love him, and she admits that she was horrible to him after the accident, and, you know, she's probably for the first time recognizing kind of her own fault in driving her husband off. And this is when Lois kind of realizes that, you know what, yeah, we're helping Anne for the contest, but now they're going to help Elaine because it's the right thing to do. I really like that. Not all these situations can be fixed. This one is fortunately one that can. Mine is one that cannot be fixed. And I'm really not going to go into why this is not the appropriate place for that, but... You know, sometimes it happens, you know, sometimes parents have to decide that what's best for the child is for the parents not to be together. I felt like that was true in my case, and but in the case of 
Anne and her mother, that's not the case. And because that's not the case, and because things are in a position where they can be fixed, Lois is at least going to try, which is really all you can do. You know, you can lead the horses to water, but you can't always make them drink. So this next moment after that uh, very heavy talk between Lois and Elaine is kind of humorous when Anne says she hears her mother coming, because she can tell by the footsteps, obviously. You know, they say that when you're blind, your other senses kind of compensate. I don't know if that's true or not, but I don't know a ton of blind people. So I've never had a chance to study it. Not that I would have. But anyway, Clark runs into the, into the kitchen to change. And Anne is blind. He could change right there and she wouldn't have noticed. Or maybe she would have heard him rustling with his clothes. I don't know. So when Lois and Elaine get there, they find Superman in the apartment. And Anne is excited that Superman found a piece of glass in her optic nerve. And you know what? He hopes that he can help Dr. Anderson restore Anne's sight. And we go straight from there into the operating room. Into the waiting room, rather. The other planet apparently got an extra addition out because, of course, it did. Telling us that Superman's x-ray eyes are going to guide Dr. Anderson's surgery. I'm not sure if the viewer needed to be told that. I mean, Superman just mentioned it not even a minute earlier. But, so, we're, we get a couple brief shots of the operating room, enough to see Superman, uh, Dr. Anderson, and, and another nurse. You know, Superman is looking down at her with his x-ray vision. Well, Dr. Anderson and her nurse do the surgery, and they're using scalpels on her eye. And So, Superman doesn't say anything. I'm not sure how this is working, but I guess he's kind of telling them where to go, I guess. I don't know. The scalpels in the eye thing doesn't seem very safe, but what do I know? But one thing I do like is that Superman didn't do the operation. There was a point in the Silver Age where Superman could do just about anything. I don't think the comics were quite at this point yet in 1954. But there was a New 52 story, which took a lot of flack. Superman basically read a medical journal, or every medical journal, and suddenly was able to operate on Lois. He didn't do it here. He let Dr. Anderson do it. And eventually Dr. Anderson kind of comes out all smiles, and he nods happily. And, well... We're off to the main event. The global flight with Superman and Anne from the Daily Planet building. And Jimmy is taking more pictures. He's probably about to re-blind her with his flash photography. But fortunately, he did not. Of course, for this new episode, they had to film some flying shots of Superman and Anne. And at this point, her mother has changed her tune, and Lois has a surprise for Elaine. But we don't get to see what that is until later. So as they're flying, there's England in the background, and they're in Paris. You know, I would think a girl Anne's age, as Lois said, probably eight or nine, would kind of be freaking out with excitement a little more than she is, but and Superman even comments on it. He kind of says to her, you know, she's kind of deadpan about it, and he says, he says what, aren't you impressed? And then she does say she loves it, but, you know, I guess certain people show their excitement in certain ways. I mean, I guess uh, blind Anne, who, well, we don't know how long Anne was blind for since the accident, but I'm sure... She was very excited to be seeing again. Well, and she recovered from this surgery pretty fast, I must say. Maybe compared to seeing again, though, seeing the world is not that exciting. I don't know. But, you know, maybe she's just kind of taking it all in. And maybe she'll freak out about it later. Who knows? So, now they're over the over some desert in Arabia. Looks more like the Sahara, but, well, whatever. Apparently her father went there. That's a clue. You know, she had even mentioned uh, Arabia before, earlier in the episode, as one of the places that she was going to send her mother. And then uh, they pass the Himalaya Mountains, which they point out that they're always covered in snow. And, you know, maybe at this point Superman should have uh, thought that maybe they should have brought a coat for her or something. You know, keep her warm. But she says she's not cold, and I guess uh, maybe Superman gives a lot of body heat. I don't know. The flight and the scenes in the Daily Planet office are a little bit out of sync. The shortwave radio operator said they just got spotted New Delhi, which is in India. But since we already saw them pass the Himalayas and that they're flying west to east, they should have been 
well past New Delhi. Jimmy gets overexcited, but that points out that they're probably over Japan by now, and, well, you know what? Maybe they are. Maybe it just took the uh, New Delhi operator that long to just get the information out. I don't know, but the next time we see Anne and Superman, they're over San Francisco, I believe. I think he calls out the Oakland Bridge. So maybe it's the Bay Bridge, I don't know. At this point, they still got most of the U.S. to cross, and apparently the U.S. isn't interesting enough to show us, as the shortwave operator tells us that Superman gave people a thrill as uh, he and Anne flew down the middle of the Grand Canyon, which apparently is something that 1950s technology can't actually show. So Now as we get to the end of the trip, she's showing a little bit of wonder, as you would expect from such a trip, and showing her appreciation of being able to see the world after being blind for such a long time. So, they get back, and her mother is gone. Yep, kid, that was a surprise. Your mother is gone. But we get a nice ending here where Anne is reunited with her father, and apparently the family is back together as Elaine and Jim are kissing and clearly rediscovering their chemistry. Good for them. Hope it works out. And Lois looks on admiringly, and Superman kind of runs away hilariously. That's right, Superman. Run away. That woman's after you. Run. Run, Clarky. Run! Anyway, my reaction to this episode was different than I expected. You know, perhaps because of the thing going on in my own life. Or maybe I'm just becoming a sap. I don't know. I'll let you guys decide that, huh? How about that? So anyway, I'm going to take a quick break and play a promo. Then I'm going to come back with Stamp Day for Superman. Hang around, folks. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast on iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Alright, welcome back folks. We're going to head right into Stamp Day for Superman, which was released in 1950 War as a black and white short film. It was produced by, obviously by the Avengers Superman Group Production Company, for the United States Department of Treasury to promote the purchase of U.S. savings bonds. The short, which runs about 17 minutes, shorter than the average 25-minute episode, was never shown theatrically, but it was distributed to schools as a means of educating children about the program. Which I wonder, for any of you who went to school in the 50s, if you guys had seen this back then. So that's a question I kind of want to put out for my listeners uh, who are of age to have seen The Adventures of Superman in first run. When was the first time, if you did at all, when was the first time you saw Stamp Day for Superman? Anyway, this was written by David Chandler. Director was Tommy Carr. Guest cast includes Tristan Coffin as Principal Garwood and Billy Nelson as Blinky. And I couldn't find a listing listing for the actor who played Jess Dunlap. So, now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. It is nighttime in Metropolis. Lois, Lane, and Clark Kent are window shopping when a burglar alarm goes off. As Lois goes to a drugstore to phone the police, Clark changes into Superman. The caped hero is surprised to find one of the thieves still inside the jewelry store. 
partner went out the door as soon as the alarm went off. You don't have to worry about me, though. I'm not going to run away. You mean you deliberately stay when you could have gotten away? Well, I've, I've never done anything like this before, Superman. I, it was all like a dream until that alarm went off and woke me up. Well, I realized that I can, I can run from the police, but I can't run for myself. It's easy to see that you're new at this sort of thing. Why did you do it? Why? That's what I keep asking myself. Sure, it was the money, but it went deeper than that. I should have learned how to save and handle money a long time ago. Then this wouldn't have happened. Well, I'm sorry it did, but at least you've learned something very important. Well, pretty bad way to learn it, don't you think? Well, here they come, Superman. Gee, I feel a little better for having someone to talk to. Thanks. That's all right, son. Now, you can do me a favor. Don't tell them I was here. Sure. However, his partner escaped when he heard the sound of the bells. Lois bumps into the thief as he makes his getaway. Superman, now back in his guise of Clark Kent, is very worried that Lois will meet the man again and find herself in grave danger. As Lois enters Clark's office the next day, cub reporter Jimmy Olsen is showing off the new portable typewriter he purchased with money he got from cashing in part of the bonds he has saved since they evolved from stamps he has purchased in school. Part of a burglary that didn't burgle too well. Well, congratulations, Lois. Gee, that's cute. Cute? Can't you think of some other word to call it, Miss Lane? I don't want to be known as the boy with the cute typewriter. I'm afraid it's hopeless, Jimmy. I once knew a woman who referred to the Grand Canyon as cute. Well, whatever you call it, I didn't know the chief was handing out raises. Oh, I didn't get a raise. Then I didn't know he was handing out rich uncles. In a way, I guess you could say an uncle had something to do with it. Uncle Sam. When I was in school, I used to buy treasury savings stamps every week. By the time I graduated, they turned into bonds. So you cashed in the bonds on this typewriter? Only part of them. You see, the interest I got on my investment made the bonds worth a lot more than what I put into them. That's very interesting, Jimmy. And speaking of learning to save, that ties in exactly with something I heard last night. And when did you hear anything about saving last night, Mr. Kent? I was with you all the time, remember? Oh, uh, yes, Lois. Well, this must have been some other evening when you weren't with me. Uh, Jimmy, do they still have stamp day at your old alma mater? As far as I know, every Thursday. And this is Thursday, isn't it? That gives me an idea. Why not do a feature article on how the kids help themselves and Uncle Sam by buying bonds and stamps? Cheapers, I'll go along with that. Good. How about you, Lois? I'd love to, but I have a date with Inspector Henderson. I have to look through the mug books for that speedy gentleman I met in the alley last night. Well, then come on over later. P.S. number 10. Fine. Meet you there in an hour. Uh, Jim. Yes, Miss Lane? Uh, I was wondering, could I borrow your typewriter? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> As Jimmy and Clark speak with school students about Superman visiting for Stamp Day, Lois prepares to leave the Planet Building. Hello? Miss Lane, this is Blinky. Remember me? Blinky? Oh, of course. Why, we used to go to Sunday school picnics together. Now nah, you're thinking of the wrong Blinky. The only Sunday school picnic I ever went to was in Reform School. Then they took us all out to chase butterflies. The one I chased just happened to fly into a moving box car. So what could I do? You know, Miss Lane, I chased that butterfly all the way up to San Francisco. Well, let's not compare life histories, Blinky. What do you want? Well, I'm the guy that ran into you yesterday. You know, by the jewelry store? Then you're the... The guy they're looking for. They're bound to get me, Miss Lane, so I'm going to surrender. Well, that's fine, Blinky. You're doing the right thing. But I ain't going to surrender to the police. I'm only surrendering to you personal. Me? Sure, they'll have to give me a break if I walk in with you. Look, 
Meet me on the corner of Chestnut and uh, Warlow in exactly a half hour, but alone. Well, I'm not sure I'll recognize you. You recognize me all right. In a half hour. School principal Mr. Garwood is trying to get Clark to have Superman speak to the students on Stamp Day. Yes, Mr. Kemp, we're pretty proud of our students. Stamp Day is really their idea, you know. You mean they do the whole thing themselves? Take the orders, collect the money, and keep their own books? And believe me, it isn't easy. But it sure is a good feeling at the end of the day when everything comes out all right. When it comes to buying saving stamps, Jimmy, I'm afraid everything's bound to come out all right. They'll start taking orders at lunch period. Now, that's an hour and a half from now. Mr. Kent, if you could get word to Superman... Well, Mr. Garwood, I'll do the best I can, but right now I'm very worried about Lois. She should have been here by now. May I use your phone? Certainly. Thank you. Mr. White's office, please. White speaking. Chief, this is Kent. What's happened to Lois? Kent, I spend half my life attempting to keep track of you, Lois, or young Olson. I spend the other half regretting that I spent the first half trying to keep track of you. I'm afraid you lost me on that last curve. When did she leave? About an hour ago. She stuck her head in the door and said, Chief, I have a date with a Heitzman to wrap him up and put him on ice. As usual, it didn't make much sense. I'm afraid it makes too much sense, Chief. I'll be right over. I'm sorry, I have to go. As Clark and Perry try to find Lois, the star reporter is teaching Blinky to type. The things I can walk into with my eyes wide open. It ain't your fault, Miss Lane. I ain't got nothing against you personal, except you can put the finger on me. So can Jess Dunlap, your partner in crime. Nah, Jess was in on the job. His testimony don't mean a thing. And what's going to happen to me? I gotta get rid of you, Miss Lane. But not until I get a call from the guy that's selling the jewelry for me. And in the meantime, if uh, anybody catches up with you, you use me as a shield, right? That's what I like, a girl with brains. If that's what you like, find another girl. I obviously don't have any brains or I wouldn't be here. Hey, I got an idea. Look, I'm going to be out of the country a long time, right? Well, I got to keep in touch with my pals by writing letters, right? And being as how nobody can read my handwriting, you can teach me how to run this little gadget. How about it? Sure, why not? But who's going to teach those friends of yours how to read? What a sense of humor. Nothing but laughs right up to the end. Thanks for reminding me. Well, start with lesson one. She's even showing him how to draw pictures with a typewriter. She does a face, which, unknown to Blinky, contains the address where she is being held by the would-be thief. Lois has folded it into a paper airplane that has flown out the window. A nervous Clark has returned to the office after speaking with Jess Dunlap. The reformed thief doesn't know where Blinky lives. However, Perry shows Clark something that can help. The paper airplane Lois made. Someone found it and brought it to the planet. Now, Superman knows where to find Lois and Blinky. The man is still arrives in time to prevent Blinky from shooting Lois. The criminal's bullets bounce off his chest and the gun has been crushed. Once the lamp is wrapped around Blinky, Superman leaves, unable to wait for the police. Superman has made his speech at PS Number 10's weekly stamp day. Hiya, boys and gals. There can only be one Superman, of course. Did you ever think about some of the super things that you can do for yourself? Well, like saving up the money for your own vacation, or for that new bike that you wanted so much. Well, all you have to do is just put away part of your allowance or your odd job money, 
and put it in United States saving stamps at school. Those dimes, quarters, and dollars add up mighty fast, especially when you buy them every week on stamp day. Well, the first thing you know, you'll have enough for a savings bond, just like Dad buys for the payroll savings at work. And from then on, the sky's the limit. Take it from Superman. Your mom and dad will be plenty proud of you if you're learning to save regularly. And the teachers are on your team, too. They make sure of having savings stamps at school for you to buy and remind you when it is stamp day. And so, boys and girls, be super citizens and have a super future by saving regularly with United States savings stamps at school. And keep on making me and everyone else as proud of you as we are today. Bye now. The children now want to buy more savings stamps for the future. Laws, it's good to see you again. All in the day's work, Clark. While you were out covering stamp day, Superman and I were cleaning up a case. It looks like Blinky's going to get jailed, Jesse's going to get probation, and I'm going to get my typewriter back. <laughs> Golly, Jim, it's a lucky thing for me you saved your money for that typewriter. Otherwise, I'd never gotten that note out. It turned into a happy ending for everybody. And just to make the ending a little more happy, I have a present for each of us. Cheaper stamp albums. Thank you, Mr. Kent. You have an extra one. Who's that for? Oh, just for a friend of mine. All right. Not a ton to say about this. This is pretty much straightforward. Obviously, the objective of this 17 or so minutes short was to encourage kids to buy U.S. savings stamps. And being that this was produced for the government, it was never actually a part of the Adventures of Superman proper. And it is the only Adventures of Superman related work to be a part of the public domain. So if you have the DVD of season two of the Adventures of Superman, it's on disc five with the, the whistling bird and around the world with Superman. If you don't have the DVD set, the first question I'm going to ask you is, why don't you? But you can find this on YouTube if you are so inclined to do so. So I'm going to start the same way as all the other episodes start with the Adventures of Superman opening. But the main difference here is where back in the 50s when this was aired, it would say that Kellogg's Pep present or Kellogg's presents the Adventures of Superman. Here it says that the U.S. Treasury is presenting the Adventures of Superman. So, burglar alarm goes off as... The episode starts with Lois doing some window shopping for puppies and jewelry, and a burglary alarm goes off, and they split up as Lois calls the police, and Clark changes into Superman. And this is where Superman runs into Jess Dunlap, who attempted the robbery with Blinky, but he's having a crisis of conscience, and he tells Superman that he was kind of hard up for money, but wouldn't be able to live with himself if he went through with the robbery, so he kind of just kind of stayed there and waited to get caught, being that the alarm kind of woke him up. So, nice little story there. Superman didn't do much other than play psychiatrist. But while he was listening to uh, Jess Dunlap's sad story, Blinky got away. But apparently Lois got a story and a look at the second burglar that got away while Superman was talking to Jess. So, back at the planet, Jimmy is showing off a portable typewriter that Lois calls cute, much to uh, Jimmy's chagrin. And Jimmy reveals that he didn't get a raise, but that Uncle Sam helped him get a hold of it. And apparently, uh, when Jimmy was a kid in school, he bought treasury saving stamps, and they matured into savings bonds, and uh, the money he collected off the interest helped him buy the typewriter. And this is kind of where the uh, U.S. government promotion part of the episode kind of kicks into gear. Apparently, every Thursday, it's Jimmy's old school. P.S. number 10 is Stamp Day. So Jimmy meets the, some boys on Stamp Day, which promotes the buying of saving stamps. Meanwhile, while they're out, uh, Lois gets a call from Blinky, who is played by Billy Lewis. We've seen him before in several episodes. He was in The uh, the Dog Who Knew Superman, and I believe 
the machine who can plot crimes, just most recently. He calls Lois and says he'll uh, turn himself in to her, but she has to meet him at his place alone. I'm not sure if Lois thinks this is a great idea, but she does call Inspector Henson and tell him about it, that she'll be a little bit late. You know, just kind of from the way this sounds, I don't think it's a good idea. But Lois goes. And apparently, uh, Stamp Day is all about the students. They do all the work. They take the orders, keep the books, and do all the business work. You know, you see a lot of that in schools now, not necessarily with regards to saving stamps, but I have seen classes in school that kind of teach kids how to run businesses and things like that, more so than I recall when I was in school. But, you know, this kind of gives the kids uh, something that they can take ownership of. Selling stuff and doing the books is, you know, a valuable skill for real life. So this is probably not the worst thing these kids can be doing. But there are a lot of platitudes going on in this episode, uh, which are to be expected, since it's really just a 17-minute commercial for the Treasury Department. Eventually, we get our first look at Perry, who is in his normal form, and he's aggravated as Clark is calling him, asking about Lois. And apparently, Perry's big regrets is that half the time he spends wondering where Lois, Clark, and Jimmy are, and the rest of the time he regrets spending the time that he spent regretting him. Very uh, circular speaking. But this portable typewriter that Jimmy bought with his savings bonds is getting a lot of use. Because now Lois is a hostage and Blinky is trying to type something. And Lois is lamenting about how dumb she was to get herself into this mess. And you know what? She's right. She only has herself to blame. You know, she, even though Blinky said to come alone, she could have found a way to get somebody else there as well to make the arrest in case things went wrong. So, I'm not sure what this plot regarding Lois has to do with Stamp Day, but... We do get a rare moment where Perry says he didn't mean what he said. I wonder if that kind of came with an edict from the Treasury Department, not to make uh, Perry look like he was mean and nasty in a program that was going to be circulated in schools. That's kind of a random thought. Lois is again showing him how to type and draw pictures on a typewriter using letters. Eventually, Clark goes back to his office showing some frustration, but Perry comes in with the paper airplane that was Lois threw out a window because apparently people just pick up paper airplanes off the ground and bring them to the newspaper office. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But somebody Lois to send a message in the face with the address for uh, Blinky's apartment. So, now with the job for Superman. Back at Blinky's, the phone is ringing. Lois is concerned for her own safety, and Blinky's about to shoot her because he got the call from his man who sold the jewelry for him, so he's about ready to make his getaway. And he doesn't need any reporters hanging around to make things difficult. And here comes Superman, and Blinky can't believe it. Superman bends the gun in Blinky's hand, and... In a nice shot, Superman grabs a floor lamp that's next to the couch and just bends it around Blinky's arms. He's not, so he's not going anywhere. And Superman leaves Lois with the uh, trust-up Blinky because he has an appointment appointment. He is going to talk to the students now about buying saving stamps and encouraging them to put away you know, part of their allowance aside for treasury stamps that can mature into savings bonds and, you know, teaching kids the value of saving their money. Which, I do my best, but... Some of the bills that I have, it's hard to save. Uh, We'll just say that and move on from there. I'm trying, though. I guess Superman is as influent a figure as any to encourage something like this. So Superman makes his impassioned speech, and all the kids are on board because, well, wouldn't you be on board if Superman told you to do something? We get a nice little ending here as Clark buys some extra stamp albums for Lois and Jimmy and himself, but he has an extra, and we can see that it's for Superman. But when questioned about it, he just says it's for a friend of his. So... Not a great episode of the show by any stretch of the imagination, but as a promotion for buying treasury stamps, does its job. And if you feel I've done my job, you can send me an email at manofscreen at gmail.com tell me what you think of this episode or any other episode I've done. You can also leave me reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. 
I do have some outstanding feedback that I'll be meaning to get to. I'll be getting that too soon. So, next time, we're going to leave the black and white episodes behind, folks. As I'm going to have Bob Fisher back with me, and we're going to begin Season 3, Color, with Through the Time Barrier and The Talking Clue. So, until then, folks, this is Mike Zumo. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all the opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com Thanks for listening.